You know, I had a, had a good friend ask me after a tragedy, um, as, uh, as they walked through this really, really dark valley, and this was the question, do you think I did something wrong? Do you think I did something wrong? Um, you know, that can be a good question, right? Don't you think? It's, it's, it's a good question to ask because we want to make sure <clears throat> that we do have a clear conscience before our Creator, before our awesome God, um, when tragedy strikes. But actually, though, aren't you and I supposed to have a clear conscience before God all the time? Whether tragedy strikes or not, we should be in constant communion and in communication and prayer with our God, um, whether there's tragedy or not. Now, I know that He uses tragedy to wake us up. I get that. But for those of us who are saved, and I'm, I'm not assuming that everybody here has placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but for those of us who have, we believe don't we, that our security and our assurance of eternal salvation is eternally guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yeah, we, we believe that. But we're all also very much aware <clears throat> that our ongoing fellowship daily as we walk with God, um, as we encounter storms <laughs> like last night, that our contentment and our joy in God through all those things can be hampered by our daily sins when they go unconfessed? We know that, right? That's why we have 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. But there's something that we as Christians do, and, and I hear this a lot, maybe you do too, or, or think it a lot, because in our attempt to, to explain the unexplainable that happens in life all the time, um, to deal with the tragic to deal with the bad things that just come our way, sometimes more often than others, we can sometimes as Christians see everything as the myth that we're looking at today. When you find yourself in a valley, it means that you've made a wrong turn. Like We, we go there, uh, especially when it's not us, it's somebody else. Uh, we, we go there. Or, or we can even say things like uh, discipline from God, a trial from God means that there's sin in my life. Job's buddies. Do you remember Job, the Old Testament book that carries his name? Job's buddies came along and they felt that way about Job's life as it was falling apart before their eyes and he's sitting there in a valley, a dark valley. They said, you, you must have done something wrong, Job. I mean, to deserve this from God, you must have done something wrong. Come on, fess up. Come clean. But isn't it a well-known fact that the trials that we Christians encounter daily in our lives are a part of the package when we sign up to follow Jesus Christ? Didn't Jesus himself even declare that trouble will be a plenty? When you follow Him, count on it. Isn't it also a fact that you and I live in a very broken world? Is this world broken? Yeah. Is, is it getting fixed? Yeah, good. And whether you are a child of God or not, you will deal with broken things every day. There are valleys. There are valleys in life. All God's people said, Yes. 
are there mountaintops? Yeah, a, a, a smaller, lighter, yes. Yeah, okay. Are most days you live somewhere in between? <laughs> yes. Then how do we as Christians interpret the valleys? Because that's what everybody, when people, someone's on a mountaintop, they're not looking for explanations. They are just glad to be on the mountaintop. But when you're in a valley, what, what is going on? Well, how do we interpret? Well, first of all, there are two I want to look at today. First of all, there are God sent me here valleys. I know you probably don't want to hear this. God sent me here valleys. God sends us, God leads us into valleys. Look at Exodus chapter 14. It's, it's a familiar account if you've grown up in the church or <clears throat> you're acquainted with uh, the, the history of, of Israel in the Old Testament. It's the account where, where Israel is crossing the Red Sea. God has saved them, all right? God has saved them from Egyptian overlords and slavery. God is leading them from that Egyptian bondage into a promised land of freedom. God's provided a human leader, Moses, to get them there. And he tells Moses and he shows Moses where to go. And then they follow. In Exodus chapter 14, there's nowhere to go, at least humanly speaking. There's nowhere to go. Pharaoh is about to give them a beating, and in front of them is the Red Sea. Now, Moses has already been told by God in the previous chapter what's going to happen next. He knows, but the people don't know yet. You see, there wasn't texting. You know, they couldn't send out a public service announcement. There's no email <clears throat> to, to tell a million people. Well, here's what God said. So what do saved people on a trip to freedom what do they say when they encounter their very first trial? Well, it's recorded for us. It's awesome. Look at this. Well, it's not actually, it's not awesome. But <clears throat> God records this valley in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. They said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. We could have died back in Egypt. So why come all the way out here in the wilderness and die? What have you done to us? See how now it's Moses' fault? <laughs> Isn't that how we, we do things? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Just a chapter before, they left Egypt voluntarily dancing and singing. Is not this what we said to you while we were in Egypt? This is before the ten plagues. Leave us alone so that we can just serve the Egyptians and remain slaves. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Does that sound familiar? You ever been there? It's the, let's blame God and his leaders when things don't go the way we expected them to go or we want them to go. Now, let's, let's be honest. Is there a valley? Absolutely there's a valley here. It's a really big life and death valley. But the text tells us, before and after, that God led them into this valley. Why? For the express purpose, God says, to reveal His power and His glory. Wow. And we know the rest of the story, don't you? Now you could probably get up. Anybody want to come up and tell it? Okay, I'll tell you. The next rest of the story is the Red Sea divides, right? And the Israelites walk over on dry land, get to the other side. Then the Red Sea collapses after the Egyptians. The text says that God drove the Egyptians into that dry area, and then the Red Sea collapses on them. 
What's the conclusion? Well, look at this. It's in verse, same, same chapter, 14, verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel. You could put in exclamation marks, again. You could. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore as the waves rolled the bodies in. It's pretty graphic. Israel saw what? What God wanted them to see. The great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. But you know, it's like a 30-minute like sitcom where you have a problem and it's solved in the one show. It's like, boom, done. Until next week's show when what? There's a new problem. And in this case, we need another divine solution. It's like it's week after week, God comes to the rescue. Yes, they said, we believe in God and Moses. Now, valley to mountaintop, awesome, we love this, but just wait until the next trial comes in the next couple chapters and watch what happens. You see, God sometimes sends us into valleys, not because we've done anything wrong. There are valleys that God creates, but do you and I recognize them when we're walking in them? Do we encourage each other, hold each other up, help us see it through a different lens? Do we do those things as a church family? We have to. Then I said there were two. The next one is there are also, and these are the ones most of us are familiar with, I messed up valleys. <laughs> yeah. You recognize that? Second Samuel's classic. We, we looked at it even a little bit last week. It's chapters 11 and 12 in Second Samuel where you got the story of David's adultery with Bathsheba. And David is confronted. We saw that last week. He repents. He's forgiven. And by God's mercy, the text says, David's life is spared. You see, for taking the life of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, David should have lost his life, according to the law. But by God's mercy, his life was spared. Then David and Bathsheba, out of that adulterous relationship, have a child. And the child dies shortly after its birth. That's quite a valley for anyone to walk. And we know from the text that they are, there are going to be consequences to David's sin. This valley is because you messed up, David. This is why this has happened. And David had other sons through other wives, and he had another one through Bathsheba too. But one of those sons was named Absalom. And later in the story, this son, Absalom, incites and leads a rebellion against his own dad to try to become king. And Absalom dies in one of the ensuing battles. There's another valley. You messed up, David, and that's why this has happened. How do you and I respond to these kinds of self-inflicted valleys? You may be in one today. Well, Proverbs 19 sheds some light on how we can respond, and it's, it's sad. It's, it's verse 3 of chapter 19. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, all right? See, man doesn't always interpret 
the ruin. Men, you and I, we don't often see the valley as being of our own, I messed up valley. No, we humans often go here instead, the rest of the proverb. And when he recognizes that his, he's in ruin, he's in the valley, his heart rages against the Lord. It's his folly, why he's there, and he rages against God. You'll notice, going back to David, that in his life, as you read this story, and especially in Samuel there, that through most of David's trials and his sins, oh, there were times he tried to hide it. But typically he repents and he acknowledges the sin when he's confronted with it. The valleys you and I create. Do we go to God in those valleys and ask him to give us insight to recognize why there's this valley. And then when he gives us that kind of insight and we actually do see, do we come clean? In God sent me here valleys where to trust in God, learn the lessons, and they're usually lessons about God's power, protection, and his glory and his love, immense love for us. In the I messed up valleys, we're supposed to repent to God that's why we're there. Uh, we receive forgiveness. It's free. It happens to His children every time we repent. And then we face, this is the hard part, and then we face whatever consequences God rules as just and merciful. So valleys don't always mean you made a wrong turn. Or the person you're looking at and examining and judging their life doesn't mean they made a wrong turn. Another God-given perspective on this that I think helps us is in Judges chapter 10. And Judges is just a book full of tragic stories over and over and over again. And, and, and one of them comes up in, in Judges 10, and starting in verse 10, the people are in desperation, the nation of Israel. They really messed it up. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you. That's a good, right? <clears throat> Everybody? All God's people? That's good. That's good. Okay, great. They seem to get it. This is awesome. That the valley they are presently in is all about their sin. They're coming clean. And they even name the sin. Look at this. Because we have forsaken you, God, and we've served the Baals, other created images that they've been worshiping. We've put our trust. We've put our worship. We've put our confidence in something or someone other than you. They've come clean. But know God's response. I, this, this really helps a perspective for me as I deal with things in my own heart and life. God's response. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, this is, this is actually tongue-in-cheek. I think it's wonderful. Did, did I not save you from the Egyptians? And all God's people said, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. We remember that hundreds of years ago. You did. It was awesome. And from the Amorites, yes. From the Ammonites and from the Philistines, Yes, yes. And by the way, from the Sidonians also. Yes. And the Amalekites. You see what God's doing here? Like, he's recounting hundreds of years of history. Amalekite, yes. And the Manites. Remember when they oppressed you? Yes, we remember when they oppressed you and you rescued us. We get, yeah. And what did you do when you were in those valleys every time? You cried out to me, God says. And what did I do every time? I saved you out of their hand. Every time, over hundreds of years, 
I was faithful. Every valley, whether I created it or you created it, I saved you out of it when you came to me. And then he, he hits them with this, and he hits us with this. Yet you've forsaken me this time, just like all the other times, and you served other gods. Watch it. Therefore, I will save you no more. Does that response from God surprise you? Watch this. Watch what he does. Okay, that's your choice. You've chosen to go. Let it play out because that's what you've chosen. I'm going to let you do it. Go and cry to the gods, to those Baals, whom you have chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. And, of course, the gods' people are like, no, 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 no. This is why we're coming to you. (laughs) They can't. They can't. We can't do anything to get out of this valley. Nobody, no power on earth can get us out of this valley. God, we choose you now. Now that we're in a valley, we choose you. And God is saying, what's God saying here? No. He's pointing out that you're not choosing me because I'm God. You're choosing me because you're in trouble. And the people of Israel say to the Lord after he points that out, you're right. Again, well, you always are. We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Now, that's a good beginning, right? Acknowledge the sin. Accept the consequences. Only notice these people. They're so like you and I. That's why I identify with judges, which is a sad thing. Only notice the addendum they put onto their confession to a holy, awesome God. Only please deliver us this day. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do all this, but could you throw in a little, <laughs> little help, you know, with the problem we got right now? I do this. Don't, do you do this when you're in it? I mean, after you get back and you take a look at where you were, you go, oh, I was stupid. I was stupid. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and they served the Lord. Awesome end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Look at the last phrase of how this chapter, this story ends. And he, God, became impatient over what? Over the misery of Israel, over the valley walking of Israel. Was God impatient? over how long it was taking for the valley, the misery, to get them to the place he desired them to get to? Or was God impatient because the misery, that valley, not only was happening on a regular basis over hundreds of years, but God knew in his foreknowledge that more misery, more valley walking was coming very soon again. As soon as he delivers them from this current valley, they're going to end up in another one. That's not like you and me, though, right? Like once we get out of the valley, we're out for good, right? Good. No hands. Good. Israel's rebellion, Israel's valley, Israel's repentance, Israel's restoration is cyclical. It happens again and again and again, it's like the seasons. You got winter, which is the rebellion. No, it's just, see what I'm doing there? 
Their national history is like reading a book of repetitious, tragic stories. You know exactly what's going to happen next. For those of you who remember, actually put any sitcom in, for me it's Gilligan's Island. Week after week, the castaways almost get rescued every episode. And what? Gilligan screws it up somehow. Can you think of a time when you've seen God respond this way in your life or in the life of someone you know and maybe you love? And if you're honest, there are plenty of stories for you and I to draw on. We could probably, all of us, march up here and we could have a whole sermon, a whole series on valley choices and how God brought us out of them, right? Valleys don't always mean a wrong turn, though, but we sure look at them that way, can't we? I think part of the problem, part of our problem is we misinterpret the valleys of life as being the result of a wrong turn that we or someone else have made, and and it's partly because we are quite adept, each of us, at making wrong turns. And partly because you and I live in a results-driven society. For the first part, you don't have to spend too much time analyzing the biblical text to uncover the fact that you and I are really good at not following directions from God, that we're really good at making wrong turns quite often. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You you are not me, God says. And that's why the New Testament stresses, and we preach it almost every week here at Grace and teach it, that the renewing of our minds from God's Word to transform our lives through the Holy Spirit of God is so important. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, the sacred writings, the Word of God, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped of every good work. It gets you out of the valleys. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By what? The renewal of your mind, so that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. Take what you're going through to God's Word, and you'll know what's good, what's acceptable, what's perfect. And don't pull in Israel. Don't go, oh, I get it. Yeah, 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 I see. Yeah, I'll change. Get me out of this, please. And then go without a plan. Then go without any determination, any accountability to saturate yourself in the Word of God. For the second part, though, this is where I think we struggle. Results are just the natural way that you and I have to evaluate our life. We look at our successes and we look at our failures. We put those together and we come to a conclusion. It seems quite natural. It seems right. Though our successes and our failures, what we often call in the church blessings and cursings, are not necessarily what the Bible thinks is success and failure. Consider Moses. The people rise up against him at every turn, every obstacle. 
The results of his leadership would indicate he's a bad leader. We need a new guy. Actually, that's what Israel said every other day. God, give us somebody else, not, 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 not him. Job, who I mentioned earlier, he loses all of his wealth and he loses his family, except for his wife, who tells him to curse God and die. Thank you. The results would indicate that something must be wrong with his life. Job, what did you do to deserve this? Um, we would judge both Job and Moses incorrectly and maybe not hire them after looking at their resume. It's not the kind of results we're looking for, at least in our success version of what's, what, it, what it is, of what life is. What about the disciples? They're following Jesus, and then one day they couldn't get past a certain teaching that Jesus was, was telling them one day. He uses a rich man as an illustration and described how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's an illustration. And the disciples don't get it because they're under a cultural assumption, as is most of the United States of America, that such material blessings are the product of God's favor on the life of a person or even a nation because of their righteousness. And one of the things is that's what David struggled with when he wrote a lot of the Psalms. You read them and he says to God, why do the wicked prosper? They're not righteous. For these men of Israel, these disciples, wealth was a sign of righteousness of pleasing God, of receiving a good life because you were a good person. And Jesus says, you guys need to look at life a little more deeply. No, that's totally incorrect. That is totally misinformed. And then he went on to describe that entering the kingdom of God was impossible without God. The early church in the book of Acts persecuted, hunted down like criminals, isolated. In the later years of the church in Acts, the people that we read didn't join the church, didn't come out on Sunday because it cost them something in the community. There was what the book of Acts describes, Luke's des Luke, the writer, describes as a fear of God kept them from joining the church. So what changed all of a sudden in the church? What did they do wrong? Because if you rewind, rewind back a couple years in the book of Acts, there's this tremendous, incredible growth, and it's numbered. We get the numbers, tens of thousands. Now, those are the verses in the… That's all, folks. Those are the verses… Actually, it's not. We've still got another little bit of time to go. Those are the verses in the beginning of the book of Acts that all the church growth experts of the last 20 years like to focus on, right? You bring up these verses, and a lot of people have never read the book of Acts, so they think, oh, that's what the whole book of Acts is like. Awesome. Well, let's avoid all the later huddling in homes in secret. Let's avoid all the arrests and the whippings received for Jesus, and let's definitely not discuss martyrdom because that doesn't attract a crowd. That isn't the kind of result that our success definition likes to see. And they're often the opposite of what the Bible emphasizes, which is the heart, not the outside stuff.
Results are a natural way for me, for you, to evaluate our life and the success of other people's lives and and the failures we might see in another person's life, even in the church. We need to learn to not just knee-jerk react to the valleys in our life as being wrong turns. We need to learn what real biblical success and blessing looks like and that it's not always going to be the results we've been led to believe by the experts. We need to learn and accept that blessing can be found even in the valley and that's why God puts us there most of the time. The blessing of God, there's a topic. I think I have a couple minutes left, so let's look at it because it's so important for us to get a handle on this because valleys are going to come and some of you are walking them right now. That blessing is misunderstood in our country is an understatement. Blessings today are numbers, wealth, health, results. God's favor is often seen and based on misunderstanding what God's blessing actually is and what it looks like. We've all heard someone say, or you or I have probably even said that this really recently, I've been blessed by God. Have you, have you said that recently? I mean, I have. I've been blessed by God. It's usually in relationship to something really good happening in life, like maybe a new job or success or wealth or um, fortune, family. I've heard athletes Have you heard this? I've heard athletes say that they're blessed by God after winning a game, a big game. Although I have rarely heard it from the Christian athletes on the losing side of that same game. Is that interesting? As a Christian, are you still not blessed even when you lose? Just throwing that out there. The common understanding of what it means to be blessed by God is that He gives us good things. Well, biblically, that's true. God's blessing is on everyone, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. James 1, 15, 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's consistent. And in Matthew 5, 45, Jesus enlightens us about the Father in heaven in that He makes His Son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on on the just and the unjust. There are wicked farmers who prosper. There are righteous farmers who prosper. But here's the thing. Does God's blessing only pertain to material things? When we confine God's blessing to to mainly material things, we severely limit our understanding of what is in God's heart for us on any particular day. It it, it becomes so self-serving, so superficial. So what's the meaning of being blessed by God and how will an understanding of what it really means and looks like to be blessed by God help you and I navigate all the valleys we are going to walk through, and even the mountaintops. I think the blessing of Abraham by God in Genesis 12, 3 can really help us here. 
God said to him right off from the get-go in chapter 12 of Genesis, and in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's awesome. And we might think that blessing here means something outward, having a good life, which was certainly a part of it as you continue the story throughout the Old Testament uh, for Abraham and Israel. It was evidence that God was on their side. Uh, He was accomplishing His will while they served Him. But in Galatians chapter 3, for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul specifically explains what being blessed means in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And it's in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is death, separation eternally from God, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, in Jesus Christ, what's the opposite of curse? Bless. So that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, might come to the Gentiles, people outside the nation of Israel, most of us in this room. And all the families of the earth will be the blessed part so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's huge. So these verses actually explain to us how both we can be blessed by God and what the blessing of God is, and it's got nothing to do with prosperity in the here and now. So why am I blessed today? Why could I say that over the past week? Because God indwells me with His Holy Spirit. And Paul makes that blessing in Jesus Christ, the blessing that God wants you and I to receive and understand that it's not just material things, but far greater. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And for me, it's more than a promise. I've received it. Have you? And how do we rate for this kind of a blessing that's eternal, that goes beyond the things that are all going to burn up one day? There's a pleasant thought. Everything I'm working for in this life that's physical is going to burn up one day. (laughs) Man. As fallen sinners, we deserve nothing. Do you believe that? We, We deserve nothing but what the Bible clearly declares as judgment and a curse. Certainly not a blessing. Romans 3.23, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And all of our good works and all of our good behavior can never make us, I'm going to make up a word, blessable. I think, I don't think that's a word, but it is now. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody can boast about it. But who do we boast in? Jesus Christ. But Jesus became a curse on our behalf, on the cross. He bore the curse that was destined for all humanity, and he died in my cursed place so that I could be blessed. It's incredible. Because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross, we cursed sinners can now receive the blessing of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
God's provision of salvation through Jesus Christ is the only way to God's blessing and to receive the Holy Spirit, which helps you and I navigate the valleys and the mountaintops, which enables you and I to open up God's Word, and it's no longer boring or not We're not able to understand it, but we now have insight and can clearly read it and apply it to our lives. If we fool ourselves to think God's blessing is mainly things in this material world, here's what we'll do. We'll pursue those things with abandon. We'll spend our prayer time asking God for those things. And when we don't get them, we'll wonder whether we're being blessed by God. My fear is that is where a lot of the church in America is at. That's the determining factor of whether they're being blessed by God. We'll wonder, did I do something wrong because I'm not being blessed like I think I'm supposed to be blessed. And that person over there has way more than I have. There's some Christian entitlement going on in our country. (laughs) And meanwhile, we'll miss the real blessing from God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the assurance of eternal life, following Jesus Christ as our Master and Lord. Don't get me wrong. I am so thankful for the material things that the Lord gives me, but I'm way more thankful, and I'm truly blessed by what He's given me through the Holy Spirit. Riches in heaven, when I acknowledge Christ as my love and as my hope and as my patience, which I need a lot of, as my satisfaction and contentment and my joy and so many other gifts, it's innumerable. Would you rise with me? I want us to stand as I pray and then enter into worship and singing together, unified, to the only one worthy to receive it, our God, who has blessed us with His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let's sing with that idea, with that backdrop today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before You, and I am so thankful that You know the details of each of our lives, that you know where we're coming from, where we presently are at, and where we're going this afternoon, that you've planned it all, that you control it all, and that, Lord, you want your power and your glory to be made known, whether we are in a valley or on a mountaintop. We're thankful for those things because of the salvation that's ours through your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, we raise our voices now only to you, to be heard by you from hearts that are beginning to see all that you have planned for us. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ who makes it possible. Amen.